Pardon me, friends. I gotta take a swig. I am just dying of thirst. Mm. Ah, now that's good. A little peach iced tea. Drinking here on the side. Yeah, sometimes you need it. I just did a show and I was, my mouth was dry. <laughs> oh, welcome, friends, to a Sounds Like Radio Library of Sound Edition. And if this music doesn't give you a hint what we're going to do right now, we're going to play you one of my original Gene Shepard recordings. I made this one on December 9th, 1974. I think I was in the first half of my senior year of high school, December of 74. And this is a very interesting show. Gene Shepard doesn't talk about himself as a kid, at least not, not that I can remember. Here he's going to talk about commercials. He's going to talk about a country's importance and the stamps they use where you can judge a country's importance. He's going to talk about the life expectancy of man and immortality of man and animals. Very interesting sort of a concept show that Gene Shepard would do every once in a while where he would just talk about life in general. And these were very interesting programs. Gene Shepard had a had a very active and an interesting mind. And, uh, well, he used to read a lot and he knew a lot. So let's listen now to a little Gene Shepard from my original tape, December 9th, 1974. Here now is Gene Shepard. just occurred to me that watching a sports writer type is like watching one of the larger apes attempting to crack peanuts. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's a certain uh, direct attitude, there's a direct approach to it. And so, uh, I mean, you know, you, you, have to, you have to pick it up as you go and play it as you, as you see it lie and uh, watch your back swing for heaven's sakes, please. Uh, uh, and make sure that you have a very elegant pair of slacks and and uh, stand up there tall and clean, tall and clean. Speaking of slacks, that reminds me. Please bring it up there, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, speaking of slacks, uh, have you noticed all these slack commercials on TV lately? Haven't you seen them? They're, they're well, you like that mustache, George? Well, it just clips on on my nose. I take this off when I go into chock full of nuts. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll let it go. But uh, seriously, though, friends uh, and fellow neighbors and uh, fellow victims and uh, fellow travelers on the yellow brick road of 20th century life, uh, I... Uh, I'm a great student of the TV commercial because I think it, uh, it is a, a harbinger, a bell cow of how our civilization is going. 
And, uh, oh, yes, indeed. Have you noticed all the hair commercials that are on constantly? In fact, one of the great sets of new commercials, uh, late at night, yeah, guys come out with the toupees. You know? <laughs> one guy says, you'd never believe your hairspray. Oh, listen, that's the biggest thing. Have you noticed there's one hairspray that says, if you try their hairspray, apparently you can grow at least three or four pounds more hair. It says, uh, it says uh, Charlie Brown with the wet look. And then it says, uh, Charlie Fig Newton with the dry look. And he's got a gigantic head of hair. And it all comes out of that can. It's fantastic. In fact, there's one guy. There's, it says, Ermin uh, 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 Bullard, mayor, with the wet look. Have you seen him with the, uh, the mayor with the wet look? And then it says, Ermin Bullard with the dry look. And he's got a giant head of hair. and makes him look a little bit like a Third Avenue bartender. And uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, it's coming out. But uh, my... <laughs> That's probably his real, his real life. <laughs> but seriously, though, friends, as Bert Parks says so beautifully, uh, I uh, personally am a great student of the commercial, and, and they, there's a lot of truth in them, but it's usually unconscious truth. It's uh, unconscious. For example, there's one car ad where the guy comes out, and he's got this new car, see, and uh, his friend says, uh, what is it? And he says, it's my new car. The guy says, what is it? Is it a, is it a duster? And he says, no. He says, is it an Impala? No. And then he says, it's a Whoopi-Mobile 8. And they all cheer. The point being that that unwittingly says the truth that all of us have found out, that it's impossible to tell one car from the other today. You agree? <laughs> it's almost a... You, oh, George, you have to get right next to the hubcap. And even then, you have to you have to read it through the mud and what the Airedales have left behind, and uh, it's it's really not easy. Yeah, and another great commercial shows these two girls, see, and and they're really fantastic looking girls. See, they're sitting, as you know, since women's lib, the whole approach has changed vis-a-vis uh, -vis the men and the women relationship. The, the the battle of the sexes has changed. It used to be that the men were chasing the women. Well, that's all over now. And uh, it shows two beautiful, elegant women sitting there. Yes, it is. And they're sitting at this outdoor cafe. And, uh, you know, just like the old days, there would be a commercial of two sort of, uh, uh, you know, guys with the roving eyes sitting out and having a beer and looking at the women passing. Well, it's the opposite now in this commercial. There's two chicks sitting there, see, and one says to the other, Clara, this fantastic two men were just behind me. Incredible looking, great, fantastic guys. And the other one says, oh, really? And then she says, yes, Clara, here they come now. <laughs> and you see these two elegant guys, you know, the kind you see on Greenwich Street, you know, with the, with the tinfoil shoes, and the, that's right, and the pink shirts, and they're walking along, and they walk past these two girls. Here's where the unconscious truth comes out. The two girls look, and they both react fantastically. One says, oh, oh, wow. She says very loud. And the other one says, whoo, 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 wee, wow, what a pair of fantastic men. And they walk by without even looking back, deep in conversation with one another. And you figure that if they just go right off screen, the next thing you know, they're holding hands. So uh, the unconscious truth keeps sneaking out. You know, speaking of unconscious truth, all of you remember Shepard's famous thesis that when you got to put it on a stamp, you ain't got it. Anybody who's ever collected stamps knows that the tinier the country, the more spectacular the stamp. I mean, you get a stamp, say, from uh, Upper Baluchistan, and that stamp has got gold fringe on it. It's got a picture of the castle. 
It's got a picture of uh, superimposed on the castle, the Sultan of Swat. His picture is there, and underneath it it says, Truth, Liberty, Joy, Peace. And, you know, that's one thing they ain't got, you know? <laughs> so we have finally gone, begun to, to deal in that same kind of stamp. My favorite new stamp has just come out. Have you seen it? All it says, I get, get ready in there, Joe. You're going to get a cue. All it's got on it is the simple, stylized word, L-O-V-E, love. Isn't that a great stamp? That opens up a whole new avenue of stamp designing. Used to be we put George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and now love, just love. The next stamp will be concern. It's a nice stamp. That'll be a that'll be a 17 cent excise blue, uh, or, or perhaps uh, uh, anger, which all good citizens should have if they're going to maintain the democracy. But love, I kind of like that. Please, Joe, if you will. Yes, thank you. Yes, sir. Oh, how we love, yeah. Oh, how we love. Oh, yes, we love. We do, certainly do. And when the saints come marching in, we'll be right up there with the best. Because we love, yeah, yeah. Because we love, yeah, yeah. You can read it on our stamps. We send them back and forth around the world. And they're marked eight cents. Oh, we love, yeah, yeah. Oh, how we love, yeah, yeah. Oh, how we love, we love everybody. Oh, we love, love, L-U-V. It's one of the great commodities. We package it. We make cereals. We call our automobiles after love. Yeah, sing it, man. Now we are sending it out on stamps. Oh, we love the world at large. Oh, L-O-V, L-O-V, L-O-V-E-E-E-E-E-E. Yes, we love, we love everybody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how we love all the world. Yeah, let's sing it, Pops. Let's have a little horn blowing here. Yeah, I got to warm it up here. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. It's L-O-V-E we're cheering for. And them saints, we're come marching in, folks. They're in the front. It's all, it's all our senators and all our everybody's going to be right out there in the front with those big old stamps all over their letters that say, love, love. Yeah, all right, come on, let's sing it out together. <laughs> God, there's no substitute for talent. Uh, da, da, da. <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of uh, of, uh, of uh, love and all these things, uh, I mean, after all, it is one of the major commodities of our time, love, packaging it, and uh, putting it together, and uh, self-aggrandizement, of course. I, th I think the most, the most sincere love affair that... Uh, that most people have is with themselves, personally. Of course, like most love affairs, it's a love-hate relationship. You know, sometimes you can't stand each other. But generally, you, uh, there's no question about it that most of us feel that the sun shines out of our own very psyche. That the world would be a far poorer place if it were not for us. You agree with that, Joe? 
You know, uh, I, uh, I, I must say this, though, that uh, I, uh, <laughs> the, the business of love has many ramifications, and tonight I think we ought to do a little bit on the, uh, on the subject, really deal with it. In fact, um, I, I remember the first example of, of corporate love. Now, corporate love is, is something that's not the same as, uh, as love. See, love has many, uh, for example, there's the, the real or corporeal love. I mean, you see this girl walk down the street, and I don't care who you are, you can't help but, uh, but, uh, but begin to sweat inside. Now, you pretend it isn't so, uh, but it, it's true. I mean, even you, George, I'm sure that you see an occasional girl and your glasses cloud up a little, don't they? <laughs> you can't help it. <laughs> that's right. And, and you just, it's just, just life, you know? That's the way it is. That's the way it is. I, I, uh, I, it, it, it's all throughout all of nature. I mean, a clam is laying down there at the bottom of the ocean, and another fantastic clam goes oozing by, and he gets the vibrations. You agree? Now, what a clam sees in another clam, scientists have never been able to find out. But it is there. Uh, have you ever seen the salmon swimming upstream? It drives them out of their birds. Big salmon. I mean, the kind of salmon that you could have put up on a, on a plaque on a wall, you know? A salmon with dignity, a, a salmon with a square jaw, will swim 17,000 miles because of this innate urge. Now, the salmon does not know about uh, Lady Salmon's lib. Uh, he just goes. Now, I, one of the great examples of... Uh, it is happening at this time of the year. For those of you who are students of nature, uh, I don't know whether you've ever been out in the far west late in the fall. In fact, just in the beginning of winter. Yes, that's right. I stood one time looking across a vast field, and off in the distance you could hear the sound of the bull elk fighting it out. Now, what do they do? They just back off from each other and run like crazy at each other, and then, pow, the horns crash. And then they back off again, shake their head. That's right. <laughs> oh, I know this guy. Don't worry. I've, I've watched him for years. And uh, they, they back off, and they let it go again. And they just keep after that. Well, I'm, I'm driving through this, this, uh, this forest, and they, all, all the elk were out there banging away at each other with the horns crashing away. Oh, it was fantastic. People were there cheering. And uh, you, you just felt this primal fury, this, this deep urge, this, 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 the mating instinct was impossible to, to get around. And, and great violence, great anger was pouring out of these bull elk. And, of course, all the people are all sitting around there watching it. Ho 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 how we love you like my song didn't you ho 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 l o v e ho 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 you're not only illiterate in the reading sense Joe you can't even hear good you have no ear whatsoever you don't need it in your work being a recording engineer well we'll move forward no that's the truth you know I've noticed what is one of the People are almost invariably drawn to the to the work that they should really uh, the li the last thing that they should do. I remember one time I judged a uh, a beauty contest out in Long Island, and I could not believe it. The people who were 
impelled by whatever subterranean desires to enter a beauty contest. Paul, I want to tell you, I never saw... Uh, it was the kind of collection that you would see at a dance somewhere, all standing over near the wall, looking embarrassed and wearing the wrong clothes. You know? With little large footballs hanging all over them. You know what I'm talking about, right? And yet they were out there. I have sat in on announcer auditions, and, and you know, announcers, there's more people with speech impediments that are drawn to try to become announcers. Can you explain that one? I don't know. I have, I have gone to clothing stores, and I know, know that the guy that was the tailor there was colorblind. I knew it. I knew it, you know? Just just talk to him a couple of minutes. He'd say things like, uh, here's a nice blue tie, and he'd take out this fantastic red tie with, with the yellow dots all over it. And I knew that I was in the hands of a madman. I knew, of course. <laughs> How many cooks have no sense of taste? <laughs> oh, God, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Guys, uh, by the way, guys are making uh, movies about love who haven't gotten near a woman since they left their mother at the age of 48. Da, 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 <laughs> Ain't the truth? Have you ever seen some of the guys that write books about how to do it, you know, in the sex line? Da, 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 it's all theory, all potatoes and no meat. See, you learn these things, you know. You, you struggle your way through life. And uh, yes, indeed, uh, them as can't teach. Them as don't write a book about it. I know one guy who for years has been doing, very famous uh, cartoonist for years has been doing hard-hitting, biting, angry, satirical cartoons, has become worldwide known for this on the brotherhood, on the, on the racial hatreds and bias and prejudices and so on. He lives in the only totally segregated apartment building in entire in the entire community of Brooklyn Heights, you can't get into this guy's apartment without a uh, without at least the very minimum very minimum a a uh, a gold pass from the CIA. And he's always you know. And so I say them as uh, you know uh, yeah. you know you don't mind Joe, right? I knew you wouldn't. Well, all right, all right. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you learn these things, eh? And you learn them when you're a kid. Generally, you you don't uh, you don't uh, you know you don't like to face these things, but you learn them when you're a kid. And you keep them stored away in your head. We all know what life is about. And we start talking about life and start writing poems and stories about life. We make it into something else. Do you agree? No, I mean, really, it's it's largely fantasy. Uh, and, and, and just living is another thing. You're an organism. And you're walking around like the clam at the bottom of Long Island Sound. And, by the way, the clam at the bottom of Long Island Sound is also living in a polluted atmosphere. You better believe it, friends. More stuff floats past that clam. Make Sixth Avenue look like the French Riviera. And uh, <laughs> he's down there at the bottom. <laughs> he can't see sometimes two and a half inches in front of his face and that with all that stuff floating around out there, the beautiful sparkling waters of the sound. And, uh, he, you know, he, he has to come to grips with nature. He doesn't complain. He doesn't complain. He knows. He knows that the name of the game is survival. 
Do you agree with that, Joe? Do you agree, Jerry? The name of the game is to survive. That's right. Each one of us survives in his own way, in the best way he can. And when you dig your toes in and you hang on to the edge of the cliff there, in spite of the winds that are blowing you, trying to blow you out to see you hang on like, like, a, like a piece of lichen. Have you ever thought of man? Yeah. Have you ever thought of man as, as, as really part of the whole animal kingdom? We are very tenacious. I mean, we are as tenacious as any creature in the world. The refusal to give in. <laughs> I mean, to hang in there, man, and to not concede that, uh, that uh, the forces of nature are about to do them in. Hangs right in there. All of us, no matter who you are, you're hanging in. And you hang in a long time. When you stop to think about it, you know, man's lifespan, let's talk about that. Man's lifespan is very, very long compared to almost any other creature that is alive. With the possible exception of certain plants. But in the zoological kingdom, we live a long time. There's only a few creatures that live longer than we do. Certain turtles, you know, the terrapin crowd. And we live about the same length of time as the biggest and the most impregnable animal of them all. And what is that? The elephant. Have about exactly the same lifespan. Did you know that, Joe? Yep. That's right. Lifespan of an elephant is a little shorter than ours, actually, but almost the same. He, he, lives, he lives on an average about 60, between 60 and 75 years. And uh, he hangs right in there. And uh, uh, very few animals can hang. Now, now did, did man originally, was he originally designed to live that long? No. In, in nature, given the pristine state of nature, man's lifespan is less than 30 years old, 30 years. That's right. You go, you go to, uh, you go to the, the far-out tribes that are living uh, almost the way they lived uh, at the beginning of time. Uh, they live, uh, a man of 25 is, a, is an elder in the tribe already. <laughs> and why? Well, all right, why do we live to be 70 years old on an average? Because we really hang in. We have invented stuff. We've done everything just for one purpose, to hang in. What do you think all of medicine is about? I mean, it is a known fact that the squirrels have never devised a system uh, for, uh, uh, let's say, uh, doing away with ulcers. No way. <laughs> it's man, man. And, he, and he, he, he's invented schemes to hang in. That's what all of medicine is about. Our tenacity to continue to live. We refuse to concede. And that's, uh, that's the great uh, factor that makes man very different from any of the other creatures. The other creatures just, you know, they, they're passive. Uh, a lion will be born a lion. He walks around and uh, he roars a lot and uh, he eats a couple of zebras and he hangs around and makes the scene with another lady lion. They have a couple of cubs. He hangs around a little bit longer and by the time he's 12 or 13, he's about ready to cash in the big chip. And uh, he does it without any fight. He doesn't, he doesn't say, my God, what is this? I just get to learn how to, how to live. I'm just beginning to make the scene. The kids are all grown up. Here I am making it big. And what am I going to do? No way. The first day that one lion sits there and talks to another lion says, this is ridiculous. What are you dying of, Fred? I'll tell you what it is. You're eating too much meat. It's cholesterol that's getting you. You got to start eating all more of them uh, brown rice. That's what. And uh, <laughs> the first lion dietitian will have been created. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so if any of you people, you know, a lot of people have this crazy idea that civilization is downhill. You know, that everything that man has done to, to get away from nature has been for, for, you know, for the worse. And actually, the truth is exactly the opposite, as is the case with most major truths. <laughs> that, that, uh, that the further away we get away from nature, the longer we generally live. Hate to say it. One of the last, one of the least nature-oriented men in the history of the world was Winston Churchill. I mean, he had never been known to, at any time, squat down in the weeds and uh, knock down a half a quart of uh, of uh, sorghum molasses, washed down with some brown rice, and then do some push-ups. Right? He never did anything. He sat around, drank, drank fine brandy, smoked two-dollar cigars, slept till noon every day, and lived to be 107. Well. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He never even went out today. He, in fact, he used to say that. I say he said, he says that as far as he's concerned, the major creation of man is the bedroom, and he stayed in it a lot. You know, reclining, smoking cigars, drinking bourbon. He used to drink bourbon, and then once in a while he drink he brandy mostly. Now that, there's a civilized man. He certainly was. And uh, now I, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not here uh, uh, going uh, flying, flaunting uh, the current trends and fads and, uh, and return to nature, except that you're going to find out once you get back to nature, there's a lot of things that are going to be nipping at your feet. And uh, you agree. And they're, they're, they're almost all dedicated to doing you in. Because that's what nature is about. Eating each other. Oh, sure. Absolutely. If, if you were born uh, a yellow perch, you would know something about that. I mean, every damn thing in the world is after you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and if you grow to be five inches long, you're way ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. And if you, if you grow to be seven and a half inches long and you're still alive and swimming around down there in weeds, you have made it all the way. Now, uh, now I see, they, they, they know something about it, and that's why the yellow perch has a certain sad look about the eye. He knows that life is hard, life is earnest, and the only goal, ultimately, is to get eaten up by a bass. Now, that's the thing, you see. He, uh, he, he ultimately says it's better to be eaten by a bass than be sucked in by a sewer intake. So <laughs> it's, a it's a matter of your demise begins to have a little style and meaning. You understand that, Joe? Or is this getting a little too metaphysical for you? Metaphysical? Right. <laughs> You kind of like this idea. Well, so, so I'm, I'm recommending, I'm recommending that, uh, that nature is not the benign creature that most of us tend to think he is. Of course, nature did ultimately create us. Quite true. But grudgingly. <laughs> but grudgingly. And so, so as we slowly pulled ourselves out of the uh, antediluvian slime by our own bootstraps, began to build houses to get away from the wind and the cold, and uh, that we began to make fires. We wound up with the Zippo lighter and the butane lighter. We, uh, we did all these things. We have arrived at a position now where, where the average, you know, average, the average person, uh, according to actuarial tables, lives in the vicinity of 70 years. Now, a few guys don't make it. Some go all the way up to 150. Uh, but the, the average is around 70 now. Yeah, give or take, you know, six, seven months here and there. But at that point, six or seven months is kind of academic, uh, you know. Well, no, it isn't academic when you're, when you're loving it. That's true. I, I concede that. I concede that all the way. But let's face one important factor. Man has done this largely on his own efforts. 
Nature has not come down and said, Thou shalt live 70.34 years. No way. Nature has really said, Thou shalt live 18.3 years and shall have a lifespan roughly the equivalent of the zebra. A man did not tolerate that. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not making this up. Man did not accept this. And from the very beginning of back thousands of years ago, one of the great drives that man has had that sets him apart from all the other creatures is his desire to continue to live as long as he can live and longer than he should live, really, by, by the standards of nature. And you go back to the days of the pharaohs, uh, very earliest. You know that they have found in the in the early some cave uh, findings have been made of uh, back in the very earliest of the Stone Age. They have found crude surgery, brain surgery. You ever see those uh, examples of that? There's 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 examples of of skulls that have obviously been operated on, uh, where a crude desire to operate on this creature that was dying was evidenced. Now, I'm not inventing this. In fact, uh, the Smithsonian Magazine uh, here about uh, oh, two, three years ago did a piece on the earliest known uh, surgery that was, uh, that was found uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in various anthropological expeditions. And way back, 30,000 years ago, guys were trying to live longer. Now, there is no evidence anywhere else in nature that one lion attempted to cure another lion's uh, liver disease <laughs> or even thought about it. Uh, it's, it and the apes, no way. Uh, sure, there's a certain self-protective thing where, where one ape will, will, will fight against uh, an animal that's trying to eat it or something like that. But uh, we are unique in, in going into the abstraction of uh, maintaining our life forever on the planet. And incidentally, that is the ultimate theoretical goal of medicine, is eternal life. Now, when you look at it that way, do you agree with what I'm saying here? Nature did not design us to live forever. Uh, what's that, Joe? Yes, well, I, I, uh, that was a very philosophical statement you've just made there, Joe. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but the the uh, did you and 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 of course there's all kinds of uh, of there's all kinds of ramifications to this. On the one hand, uh, we we secretly all would like to live forever, but on the other hand, we secretly think that it's somehow morally wrong. That uh, you see this battle going on constantly. For example, the other couple of uh, weeks ago, there was a, a movie on television where this scientist, this doctor, it was kind of a sci-fi thing, but it was well done. He had devised a, 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 really a surgical technique where he could replace the entire internal system of a human being. And he, he could, he did. And, and, and you could only do just a few of them. That's the problem. Well, that was really what the, what the story revolved on. You could only do a few of these because naturally it was a complex technique and he could actually renew a person completely. And when his organs begin to die out again, or uh, the life support system, he called it, which is all of your internal organs, which keep your body going, he would just simply re remove them and replace an entire new system. Well, now, <laughs> in, the, in the, the way the movie was, uh, was spoken, the way the script went, this was kind of evil. 
and uh, he had re he had replaced the entire organs of a senator, and the senator didn't know it. He was in an accident. See, this was a uh, he was in a, not a massive automobile accident, and they rushed him to this place. It was kind of like a takeoff on Ted Kennedy. And they rushed him to this place, and uh, he didn't know it. He was completely unconscious, knocked out, and uh, they replaced his entire organs completely. And, and not only did they find that he had been injured, of course, but when taking his organs out, they found that within two years he was going to have a heart attack because they found that his heart was defective. He didn't know this. They also found that there were ulcers growing in certain parts of his body, which he didn't know. But here he was now, completely renewed. Now, you'd think a guy like that would say groovy, wouldn't you? No, he says, when I get out, I'm going to tell the world what you're doing here. I'm going to let them know what evil you're up to. And they were crying out loud. There's an example of the, of the wish, the love-hate thing, you know. Where on the one hand, we think it would be kind of great, personally, if we could live forever, but it would be kind of evil if the rest of mankind lived forever. <laughs> Do you see that point? <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a really complicated thing, yet man is the only creature, and, and I, I hope this isn't boring you, but, but you never hear anybody talk about this kind of stuff. You know, the basic stuff. We're constantly talking about politics and taxes and all that stuff, but the basic fact of, of all of our existences, no matter what your color is, no matter what your age or your race, is that you are alive. And that is hardly ever discussed. You know, the, 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 the feeling of being alive, and you are here, you are breathing, you are eating, uh, you're alive. You can feel cold, you can feel heat, uh, you can feel passion, excitement, you can feel many kinds of emotions constantly. This is a, fa a salient point of life. You are alive. The difference between life and death is that every, everything stops. A stone is inorganic. It is dead. It does not feel excitement about uh, getting a weekend off uh, or anything like this. But man or any other creature feels these little things. Now, some feel them more than others. Some have different views. A clam is alive and, and tries to cling to it. Uh, a, a, a bit of lichen is alive and tries to cling to it. All life attempts to sustain itself as long as it can, but only man has made positive steps to do that and has maintained a lifelong <laughs> a constant battle to try to live forever. And, uh, and he's doing pretty well. He's, he's practically almost tripled his life expectancy since uh, the very earliest known days of man's uh, trek across this globe. Uh, that in the very earliest man, they, they, they figure that the very earliest of man, the, the early Stone Age man, rarely grew out of his teens. That, that he rarely lived longer than that. that uh, it would, and not just because he was eaten by an animal, but because he uh, various diseases and one thing and another. And man has really gone, gone out and done it. And I think that the major concern today with almost everybody in his own life uh, is health. I think more people are concerned over health than they are Watergate, and it's a, it's a subterranean thing. Uh, in fact, my, my publisher will tell you that, that the biggest selling books of all are all kinds of fad books on uh, various types of diet, uh, various types of uh, how to live uh, a better, cleaner, more, uh, more uh, you know, healthy life. And uh, this, is a, this is a fantastic uh, urge that people have to learn about this. And this is what the diets are all about. Uh, very few diets are really based on uh, ultimately vanity. 
They're uh, they're based on that vague fear. If quote I don't do something about it, it may be too late. <laughs> and and you see endless commercials on TV about give up smoking, give up uh, give up uh, fasten your seat belts, uh, do all this stuff, everything. Yeah. Do away with the bad stuff in the air. Now, it's all devoted to one thing, ultimately, a desire to live forever, or at least as long as we can. That's fascinating to me. And uh, I, I, I think it's one of the great things that sets us apart from all the other animal world, all of it. And it's not, it's, it's a product of civilization, by the way. That's interesting, that, that when you go to the more basic civilizations, the very earliest primitive civilizations, this is hardly defined uh, death is accepted as almost inevitable they don't they don't uh, they, they always ascribe it to evil spirits or uh, they always ascribe it to uh, the other tribe put a curse on us uh, but the attempt to actually do something about it is very rare and that's really the product one of the great products of civilization is the attempt to sustain life to cling to the edge of the cliff with uh, all all toes dug in, you know, and the wind is blowing, and as crashes of lightning are knocking the trees down, and the rain is coming down in great sheets, you just cling, by God, you cling. Yeah, see, what did I tell you? Wasn't that an interesting show? Gene Shepard just reflecting on life and how it is. Yeah. From December 9th, 1974 is when I originally recorded that show off of a local FM station here in the area. I'm trying to see if I ever figured out when it was originally broadcast on WOR. Just give me a minute. Uh, no? Uh-uh. I never could find the original broadcast date when Shepard actually broadcast that show live from WOR in New York. But there you have the syndicated version of the show that local stations around the country would play, and that's how I got that program off of an FM station. So the sound quality was much better, actually, than the WOR AM original. Well, friends, we hope you enjoyed the Gene Shepard Show here on the Library of Sound. These shows are always very popular. People love listening to Gene Shepard, and I can't blame them. We will be back again next time with more different stuff here on the Library of Sound, and I guarantee you Gene Shepard will be back in the future. Until then, I am your humble host for Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.